We're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to John's Gospel tonight, John chapter 14. You'll find it on page 901 of the Pew Bibles, page 901. A very famous passage of Scripture. Uh, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life in this section, but uh, there's more to this section than just that phrase. Um, We're going to be thinking about that later on and about where it is we're going uh, as those who know and love the Lord Jesus. So John chapter 14, we're going to read verses 1 to 15 together. That's page 901 of the Pew Bibles. And as we read, we remember that this is God's infallible and reliable truth to us. John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son." If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Let's pray briefly again together. Lord, we thank you for the blood of our Saviour. We thank you that it saves us from sin's penalty from sin's power and one day it will save us from sin's presence and we pray until that day we would have the hope of heaven in our hearts and we pray that as we think about where we're going tonight that you would encourage us and comfort comfort us and fill us with the hope that this world is not all that there is and we pray in Jesus name and for his sake amen John 14 is on page 901 of the Pew Bibles, and uh, we're going to be thinking about that passage together tonight. Uh, This evening we're finishing our three-part series based around questions that God asks. Uh, The Bible, as we've said during our recent services, asks us questions. Uh, God, through through his word, asks us questions, but thankfully he doesn't leave us in the dark as well as asking questions. He gives us answers and we saw that especially this morning and we're going to see it again this evening as we think about our third question, where are you going? 
Over at Christmas, we were down at our respective homes for a bit. Uh, we were in Kilkeel for a day or two, and then we were in Bestbrook for a day or two as well. Uh, we ended up, uh, ended up having to take two cars on account of having so much stuff. Uh, four wains, a dog, plus essentials, luggage and presents and so on. But there are two questions that were always asked by the kids when we get into the car to go anywhere, not just on long journeys. Uh, you're maybe familiar with the questions too. You tell the kids you're going somewhere, you jump in the car, and the first question is, how long will it take to get there? And during the journey, when the boredom sets in and you've had to break up at least four different arguments, the question is asked, are we there yet? There's actually a film released in 2005 with that title, Are We There Yet? It's not a very good film. A film review website wrote this about it. This supposed family comedy has provoked most critics to write, Is it over yet? And you're maybe thinking about that, uh, thinking that about this sermon already. But you know the questions. How long will it take to get there? And are we there yet? If you're anything like us, you'll answer the first question in a vague way. How long will it take to get there? Well, it's a long journey. And you should be ready for that. And the second question, well, the answer is the same, isn't it? Are we there yet? Well, we told you it was going to be a long journey. You should be prepared for that. It's going to take a while to get there. Two, two, two simple questions that we're all for, familiar with, and they help us begin to think about our third big question. Where are you going? Just like our other two questions, there's a sense in which our world doesn't want to engage with the question, where are you going? What, 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 what is that asking? Well, it's essentially asking, well, what happens to you after you die? What happens to you after you die? All, all, all major religions hold to some view of the afterlife or life after death. In more recent years, though, more and more people have said that there is nothing after death. The philosophical concept is called eternal oblivion. And it's basically the belief that your consciousness stops forever upon the moment of your death. Now, for most people, death is a scary prospect. For some, it's the fear of the unknown. For others, it's the awareness that death makes life so meaningless. A journalist called Tom Shivers wrote, I'm terrified of death, my own, my loved ones, everyone's. 100 years after my, after my death, no one will really know who I was. Do you even know your great-grandparents' names? For some, their fear is that death is the end. Larry King, the former CNN broadcaster, said, My biggest fear is death because I don't think I'm going anywhere. King died in 2021. Now, the Bible says that the reason we all fear death is precisely the opposite. That death is not the end. We are going somewhere, all of us, and unless we're trusting in the Lord Jesus, we have everything to fear. Hebrews 9.27 puts it as clearly and as plainly as we could possibly hope or imagine. It says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. People might not like to admit it, but deep down we all have a sneaking suspicion that the grave will not be the final word and that one day justice will be done to us and to the whole world. It's as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity into all of our hearts. Well, what's fascinating about any reaction to the truth of judgment is that it's not a particularly new thing. One of the things that we didn't mention while we were looking at Genesis 3 on Wednesday evening was that judgment was the first thing that was denied by Satan. What was it he said to Eve when she questioned his proposition? Don't be silly, Eve. Don't worry about it. You will not surely die. Do you really think that judgment is real? But this 
inner sense of a, of a coming judgment is, is confirmed and, and brought into sharp focus by the Bible. The, the, the great hope for us, though, if we know and love the Lord Jesus, is that future glory is also mapped out for believers in the Bible as well. And that's mainly what we're going to think about this evening. At the beginning, though, you need to answer the question, where am I going? Where are you going? If you're a believer, then the great hope that you have is that you're heaven-bound. If you're not a Christian, though, if, you're, if you've never personally trusted in Christ, well, then the news is very different. You're in the broad road that leads to destruction. You're in a path towards hell, eternal separation from God. Our focus tonight will be, for the most part, on where believers are going and the hope that we have. So where are you going if you're a follower of Jesus? The short, simple answer is heaven. But that answer raises questions, questions that are answered in our passage tonight. You're heaven-bound, but how do you get there? What will it be like? And how should you live now? We're going to work through those questions together this evening. First of all, heaven. How do you get there? Well, just like Genesis 3 and James 4, we're jumping into John's gospel this evening. And we find ourselves in John 14. And the context of this passage is that Jesus' disciples are under substantial emotional pressure and are on the brink of catastrophic failure. At this point in John's gospel, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And the atmosphere in the room has been, has been heavy, almost oppressive. Uh, Jesus himself has been under, under significant pressure before this section. In John 12, 27 and 13, 21, we read that he's deeply troubled. He's heading towards the agony of the cross. But here in John 14, it's not the disciples comforting their deeply troubled teacher and leader. It's Jesus comforting his deeply troubled disciples. On this night of all nights when it would have been appropriate for, for Jesus' disciples to give him emotional and, uh, and spiritual support, he is the one who gives it and, and comforts his disciples and instructs them. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus talks about the place that he's preparing for his disciples, his followers of all ages. We're going to come to those words in a moment. What, what comes after them, though, is a question from Thomas in verse 5. He says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, Thomas is, is thinking geographically here. Jesus has just told them, uh, that he's going somewhere. Thomas wants to know where. He's, he's thinking in terms of a physical, geographical place on a map. J Jesus, though, has been talking about, about spiritual things, of spiritual realities as yet unknown to Thomas. His broad point has been that the disciples need to trust him. So to help Thomas and the others, he, he puts this as simply as he possibly can in verse 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Heaven, how do you get there? Only by trusting in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now there's something to see here that's very important. By saying that he's the way, the truth, and the life, Je Jesus is saying that he is the one who fulfills the three main offices God provides for his people, prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, Jesus is the truth of the Father. He is the, the word made flesh, the, the final word that God has spoken to his people. As priest, Jesus is the way to the Father. He is both the sacrifice for our sins and the mediator of the new covenant. And as king, Jesus is the, is the, is the life from the sovereign giver of life, the eternal Father who gives life now 
and in the coming age of, uh, age of eternity. He, he is the king the Father has already installed in Zion, and he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. As well as that, though, we can't miss the exclusive nature of Jesus' claims. This is the most famous claim of Jesus because it's the one where he claims to be the only way of salvation. Now, that jars with people because it seems narrow and bigoted and prejudiced. We live in a day when everybody is given a place on the platform of religion. But Jesus is really clear. There's only one way to get to heaven, and it's through him, through faith and trust and belief in him. You can follow political leaders, celebrities, personal trainers, Instagram influencers, but they'll ultimately let you down. You can believe in all sorts of things. You can study other world religions or secular academics or anything in between. But what you'll find every time is a suppression of the truth about Jesus and of his word. And you can try and ignore this question of where you're going and, and make enjoyment of life your priority. You can take the holidays, you can build the houses, you can drive the cars, but what is it all worth in the end? There's only one way to get to heaven and it's by trusting in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. You're heaven bound, how do you get there? Only one way, and it's by trusting in Jesus. You're heaven bound, what will it be like? That's our second question tonight. That's a question lots of Christians have. The answer comes in the early part of John 14. Just look at what Jesus says in verses one to four. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and, you will, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. What will it be like? Well, Jesus says that he is going to prepare a place for us. Now, this is slightly ambiguous. It's, it's slightly vague. If we had been with Jesus, we might have said, well, could you tell us a little bit more about this place? But the key element to what Jesus says in verses one to four is our comfort. Jesus is comforting his followers with the truth that one day they will be with him forever. That, that sort of means that the question we're asking isn't a very good one. You're heaven bound, what will it be like? The, the, the thing about the Bible when it comes to heaven is that we're never really given a detailed description of what it'll be like. What we are told, though, is that we'll be with Jesus forever, that he will be the focus of heaven. He, he, he will be the one who is praised for all eternity. What it'll be like for us is inconsequential. It's really not the main thing. The, the, there is a sense, though, that, that, that Jesus is promising, promising us wonderful homes in eternity. And when I was growing up, I was Manchester United mad to the, to the extent that Everything had to be Manchester United themed or red in color. So my room when I was a child was decorated with Manchester United wallpaper. It was red, white, and black. And honestly, I, I mean, I'm not even lying, it was the most beautiful wallpaper you'll ever see. Now, this is maybe a little bit glib and a half hope, but I have a half hope that my home in heaven will be covered in that same wallpaper. Maybe not, probably definitely not. But the point is that Jesus is preparing wonderful homes for us, homes that are are beyond our wildest dreams. And this is something that, that, that captures our hearts and, and pulls on our heartstrings. The, the, the promise of an eternal dwelling. Well, we all have this longing for heaven. C.S. Lewis calls it the inconsolable longing. He writes, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, 
But more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. It's the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work, and which we shall, shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. We all have this longing for heaven, whether we realize it or not. We, we have a desire to live with Christ. And Jesus tells us how our longing, how our unsatisfied longing will be fulfilled. In my Father's house are many rooms. The authorized version puts it more, puts it more vividly, doesn't it? In my Father's house are many mansions. The idea is that he's preparing permanent dwelling places for us. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown of my brow, if ever I loved, me, loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. Having a deep underlying heart realization that there's an eternal home prepared for us will bring us rest now and will also realign our priorities. In this part of the world, we have a strong sense of home. Home means a lot to so many of us. We travel, we go to different countries and we come home and we say, well, there's no place like home. But this place is not our forever home if we belong to Jesus. As the author of Hebrews says, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. As the hymn using those words puts it, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are led somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And that's it, isn't it? This world isn't our home. And if it feels like home, if we're so comfortable in it, then something has gone wrong. Our priorities have shifted. Our expectations about the life to come have been dampened. When you go away on holiday or go away for a couple of nights, you don't just drive off with no prior preparation. When we were getting ready to go down the road over Christmas, we didn't just jump in the car and go. We had to pack our bags, set out the presents, bring the right amount of bottles and so on. When you go somewhere, you make preparations. In light of eternity, in light of heaven before us, how much more ought we to prepare for what is to come? You're heaven bound. How do you, how do you get there? Well, there's only one way to get to heaven, and it's by trusting in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. You're heaven bound. What will it be like? Our heavenly home will be, will be wonderful beyond words. You're heaven bound. How should you live now? Well, look at verses 12 to 13 for an answer to our final question. How should you live now? Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's really important to take note of what Jesus says here. If we love him, we will obey him. He doesn't say, if we obey him, he will love us. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that he has loved us, so we obey him. The gospel turns everything the right way up. We can't do anything to, to earn or merit a relationship with God. Our obedience merits us nothing. It's not that it gives us extra points or anything like that. But, but, but our obedience is an essential affirmation of our love for Jesus. Let, let, let's put it in this way. 
It's by Jesus' obedience that we're saved and it's by our obedience, motivated and compelled by love for Christ, that we express our gratitude for so great a salvation. So you're heaven bound. How should you live now? Well, you should live faithfully for Jesus, whatever the cost, whatever that means, whatever his call on your life is. Further on in chapter 14, Jesus repeats what he says. In verses 23 and 24, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. It's pretty straightforward. If you love him, you will keep his word. If you don't love him, you won't. What, what will it look like for you to, to, to keep his word this week? Maybe you're back to work this week and for the past while you've been, you've been hiding your light under a bushel, so to speak. Uh, the people you work with don't know that you're a Christian. You don't want to have the conversation mainly because of how awkward you think it'll be. They've asked you about what you were doing at the weekend a few times, but you've coolly palmed off the question. But deep down you knew it wasn't right. So this week, this year, why not pray for, for God's help and ask him to, to help you keep his word this week? Wherever you are, wherever you go, whoever you speak to, whatever you do, where are you going? If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, someone who has, who has trusted in Christ for salvation, then you're heaven bound. If you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted in Christ, then the news is very different. You're in the broad road that leads to destruction. You're in a path towards hell and eternal separation from God. But that need not be the case. How can you change course? How can you change direction? How, how can you get there? How do you get to heaven? By trusting in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And what will it be like? More wonderful than you can ever imagine. And how should you live now? Well, trust in Christ first, and then live for him day by day, and keep his word. There's a, a now dead minister who wrote four volumes on the four New Testament Gospels. He's called Jesse Ryle. You might have heard of him. He's good for a quote, little pithy line. And what he says about John 14 is that this passage contains a precious remedy to an old disease. A precious remedy to an old disease. It's a great line. The old disease he's referring to is, of course, sin. The precious remedy, well, it's belief in Jesus. But there's maybe something else going on in the quote, I'm not quite sure. You, you, you can read it as pointing us to heaven, I think, because that's what this passage is about, our eternal destination. And we can only get there by trusting in the one who, who provides the remedy to sin. But when we do that, we have the hope of going to the place where that old disease will be no more. Are we there yet? No, clearly, obviously not. How long will it take to get there? Well, no one knows. Our lives are uncertain and brief and no one can answer that question. Will, will it be worth it? Following him, trusting in Jesus, keeping his word? Absolutely. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Where are you tonight? Where are you in terms of your standing before God, your relationship with Christ? 
what is your life? What are you living for? What's it all about? And where are you going? Three questions at the start of 2024. I I don't think you'll come across three more important questions to answer. But praise God, he 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 has given us us answers in his word. He has given us his son as well. So we can answer when we're asked, where are you? I am in Christ and my life is hidden in him. What is your life? Well, it's been purchased and therefore it's powerful. And where are you going? Well, I'm heaven bound. Are those your answers? This world is not your home. You're only passing through. To be sure of your eternal destination, you need to trust in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus, our Savior. And how we thank you for the hope of heaven that you have given to us and that you have told us about in your word. Father, we thank you for these questions that you ask of us, but we thank you so much for the answers that you give us. And we pray that as 2024 begins, that you would help us as those who know and love you to be faithful to the Lord Jesus until we go to be with him forever. And we pray that you'd speak to those, that you would challenge those who who haven't yet trusted in him, that this year, for the first time, they might come to know the way, the truth, and the life, personally, now, and forever. And we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.